So Acts chapter 2. Okay, great. Last week, or two weeks ago, we had uh, entered the chapter and gone down to verse 21. Today we're going to pick it up in verse 22 and go down to verse 41. But for reading this morning in context, we're going to pick it up in verse 14, which is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. So I'm going to read this. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, we'll also have it on screen if you would like to to do that. So I will begin reading in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these uh, are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption." This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? 
Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we trust that you are already working in our hearts and stirring us as we hear these words. The first words, the first sermon of Peter, as you empowered him to be your servant. And may we give attention and hear this sermon, as it were, for the first time with our own ears and understand the things that you were speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've entered into the book of Acts. Of course, we took a look a a few weeks ago at chapter 1, and we looked at that that promise that many of us may know very well in chapter 1, verse 8. And if you have your Bible, just flip over there and take a look at it. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so the book of Acts begins with this promise of the Holy Spirit, and uh, in the Gospel of John, it was called the promise of the Father. The promise of the Spirit was coming, and Jesus told them during his resurrected state in the 40 days between uh, the time of the Passover and the time of Pentecost. And remember, we talked about that there was a 50-day interval uh, between when the Passover ended and when the, the Feast of Pentecost began. And it was, of course, the Feast of the Ingathering. So on this uh, Pentecost Sunday, and it was indeed a Sunday, uh, they had been waiting upon the Lord just as Jesus had said, and the Spirit of God came upon them. And as the Spirit came upon them, people began to speak in tongues unknown to them. And it said there, as we read this uh, a couple of weeks ago now in chapter 2, that they began to speak the marvelous praises of God. Um, Everyone heard them speak in his own language. Um, And, you know, as they were hearing the praises of God, it says there at the beginning of chapter 2, people speaking in their own language, they knew that they were uneducated people. They knew as they were hearing the praises of God and the excellencies of God and the worship of God coming from the lips of these people who were uneducated, that something was going on there. So Peter at this point, uh, we did go up to verse 21 last time, but Peter had begun to speak and uh, the people were mocking them. This was about nine o'clock in the morning and uh, on high holy days, no one ate or drank before 9 a.m., and so they were sort of yelling out accusations. Some were saying, hey, this is, what is this amazing thing? And others were saying, um, these people are drunk early in the morning. Something's going on here. They're under the influence of wine. And Peter stood up and he said to them, that's not what's going on here. And so Peter does something very interesting. Now, keep in mind, Peter, 50 days earlier, had done what? He had denied Jesus. As Jesus was being crucified on the eve of his crucifixion, he was denying to anyone and everyone who approached him and said, hey, I recognize you. You were were one of his disciples. You were with him. You were hanging out with him. And of course, we know from what we read there in the the Gospel of Matthew that Peter was 
saying as vehemently as he knew how, I do not know the man, and he even swore, he cursed, saying, I don't know him. And so here we are uh, seven weeks later, and here's Peter on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Spirit. Seven weeks earlier, he took his sword out and whacked off the ear of Malchus the high priest. He was a man living in fear. He was a man who was conflicted. On this day, he stands up as the Holy Spirit has come upon him. And we have this stark contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. As we look at the life of Peter, Peter stands up with the eleven, raises his voice, and rather than speaking in a foreign tongue, he's now speaking in their native tongue in a language that they can all understand. And as he begins to speak to them, interestingly, with no notes and no sermon prep, he begins to speak to them this sermon out of the Old Testament, the first scripture he quotes, and notice that he quotes this from memory, the word is in his heart, it's in his mind is Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. If you have a cross-reference Bible, you can probably see there with verse 17, it references that. And as he, he calls this scripture out to them, he's explaining to them that this scripture is not being fulfilled in its entirety, but that this is the beginning of the last days. So look at with me at verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, shall, uh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. What's happening? The 120 are speaking in tongues. People are hearing men and women speaking the excellencies of God in their own language. And in verse 18, And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And so in that first part there, as he's sharing this prophecy from Joel, that's what's beginning to happen. And, and that's what he's, he's explaining to this crowd of people. Remember, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, as we talked about the Feast of Pentecost, this was one of the, the most highly attended feasts of the seven feasts. And so there were literally probably a couple of million people crammed into this little city of Jerusalem. And so these people are hearing these words. They're seeing these signs. And it's beginning to happen. The last days. And it would seem that what the Lord is saying here is that beginning with the Spirit of God coming upon His church, that this is ushering in the era of the last days, that period we know as the last days. So every, ever since that day, the day of Pentecost, until when? Well, He goes on to define it in verse Verses 19 and following, he says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and the awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It seems there that he's describing the time of the tribulation. Because as we read the prophet Daniel and as we read the book of Revelation, we see these things happening. So it would seem that from the time of the coming of the Holy Spirit to the time of the second coming of Christ at the end of the seven-year tribulation, that period would be called, according to Joel, the last days. So we certainly have not seen that last part yet about the, the blood and the moon and the signs in heaven. That's all coming and then he says here in verse two, excuse me, 22, men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. He's calling to mind the fact that for, for three, three and a half years, Jesus traveled about there in Galilee and Jerusalem. And the people knew him. They, they, of course, just seven weeks earlier, they had welcomed him in on Palm Sunday. And then a few days later, they had shouted crucify him when they were given a choice between Jesus and Barabbas. And so they knew who Jesus of Nazareth was. And he says here, a man attested by God to you by miracles. All of those things Jesus did, he's saying that was God working in and through his servant, his son, the Messiah, Jesus. Miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him in your midst. As you know, because he's saying you, you saw them. You witnessed what he did. And in verse 23, he says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. There's a great explanation for what's happening behind the scenes, right? The determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. In other words, the sovereign hand of God. As we were sharing last week there in Italy and talking to them about what they had been experiencing just as we've experienced here the last two years, is it not the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God? Is it not the sovereign hand of God that he's allowed these things to happen? Has God been surprised by anything that has taken place in the last 24 to 36 months? No, nothing catches God by surprise, right? And God allows things to happen for specific reasons. He allows us often to go through difficult and trying times, things that are disappointing. And as I look around this room, I could probably call out for many of you things that I know you've gone through over the years. I won't do that for the sake of embarrassment. I wouldn't wouldn't do that, but certainly you know the things you've been through. And so often we have questions before God, don't we? Of God, why did you allow this? And what is the purpose? And what is the plan? And I'm convinced, at least in my own life, that there are many things that we just won't know until we get to heaven. And we have to accept the fact that God himself is in charge, that he's in control. And as we read this verse here in verse 23, that Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, I would insert there, for your reference and mine, Isaiah chapter 53. And that's the chapter, of course, that talks about God's suffering servant. And it says in that chapter, as we read it, that God himself had purposed and planned that his son would go through these things. And it even says in there that it pleased God to bruise him for our iniquities, for our sins. And so Peter now bringing this all together for them so that they can understand it, that this Jesus whom you crucified... He was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. And he says, you have taken him by lawless hands. You've crucified him and you put him to death. So as they heard that, they were now being convicted by the words that were being spoken by this man filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. You see, when when we die, 
we go into the grave and our bodies rot and decay. And until that great day when we are resurrected with our resurrection body to see Jesus, that's the way it will be for us. But God's son, his servant, when he died, when he went into the grave, it was not God's purpose or plan to see his son decay. In fact, he now quotes or he invokes Psalm 16. And so again, keeping in mind, as Peter is speaking these words, he's quoting scripture. Acts 2.25, for David says concerning him, and he begins quoting Psalm 16, I foresaw the the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. As he's quoting this, the interesting thing is David wrote this, but he wrote it prophetically. He's not speaking of himself. He's speaking of a conversation in heaven happening between the Messiah and the Father, between the Son and the Father. And he goes on and he says, you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. What an amazing thing is he's quoting scripture here. The scriptures themselves are having an effect upon the hearts of the listeners. I would like to point out, as there's so many things we could point out here, but in verse 27, he said, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You know, God would not allow his son to go through that process of of rotting flesh, of decay. He wouldn't leave his son in that manner. And just as God would not leave his son in that way, let me just say to you this morning, in case you've ever felt alone, in case you've ever said to yourself, God, where are you in this moment? That God will not leave you. It says in Matthew 28, the Great Commission that we read just a few weeks ago as we finished the book of Matthew. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When's the end of the age? We just talked about it. It's certainly the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We also find recorded for us in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, and I'll read these words to you, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself, that is God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, if God wouldn't abandon his son and he's given us his son that we might be saved, doesn't it follow that God would also not abandon those who believed in him, those who are his people? Certainly not. God has never abandoned you. And regardless of how we feel, and here's the problem, isn't it? We so often define our reality by our feelings rather than by the truth of God's word. He has never abandoned you, and he never will, just as he has never abandoned his son. In fact, that 
that closing verse there in Psalm 16 and, and verse, quoted in verse 28 of Acts chapter 2, you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. This is why we need a time to get alone with the Lord, to open his word, to read it, and to pray. Because it says in his presence there is joy. And we need that joy. We need the presence of God in our lives. And let me remind us this morning that Psalm 16 was written by David, King David. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that David was far from perfect, right? David was a man of war, a man of bloodshed, a man of passion. Of course, David and his uh, infamous sin with Bathsheba. And yet God still used David as a prophet in spite of his sin. And I'd like to say to you today that God still wants to use you and me in spite of our sin. You see, we're not disqualified on this side of heaven, at least not yet. As long as we can repent, that means come back to the Lord, turn from our ways and turn back to the ways of the Lord. There's hope for us. And sometimes, you know, I've run into people, and I know at one point in my life I felt this way, who feel that they've messed up too much, they've gone too far. They've been involved in all sorts of sins I could name, uh, but I won't name this morning. Uh, you know, the list of, is long and endless of sin and sins that we could be involved in. But as long as there's still breath, as, as long as there's still life, there's hope for you and me, and God wants to use us for His glory. And he used his servant David to write these holy words of Scripture for us. These words that were prophetic for the Messiah. And so Peter, filled with the Spirit, quoting these words of Scripture to the people, verse 29, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Why is he saying that? Because he's going to make the point that those words that David spoke were not of himself. David died, and he says, we know where his tomb is. His bones are still in there. Therefore, being a prophet, speaking of David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. In other words, the Christ, the Messiah, would come from the lineage of David. It says, verse 31, that he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He's making sure they understand. Now listen, what Peter is doing at this moment in Jerusalem, probably in proximity to or very close to the temple, as an untrained, unskilled, uneducated man, he is dissecting and expositing the scriptures better than any scribe or Pharisee ever could. The Spirit of God doing something beyond what man can conceive. And he spoke these things. And he says, verse 32, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And so as he says that, no doubt those others who were standing there are nodding their heads going, Yes, we agree with Peter. We agree with his words. We are witnesses of these things that Jesus was resurrected. He was raised up. By God, verse 33, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, this is where Jesus is now, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what Jesus said. 
If I go away, I will send the promise of the Father, the Spirit. And he poured out this which you now see and hear. So he's used Joel's prophecy to explain what's happening. He's used a prophecy from Psalm 16 to explain what's happening. And notice he says there, he poured out this which you now see and hear. I don't know if any of you have ever read A.W. Tozer. But let me encourage you, if you ever see his name on a book, just buy it and read it. It's that good. Tozer said, Today much is heard and little is seen. In the early church, much was heard and seen. So true. We can make a lot of noise, we can say a lot of things, but in the early church, because the Spirit of God was moving, much was heard and much was seen. In verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Now he's quoting from Psalm 110. All of a sudden, this Peter, this fisherman, this uneducated man, now just, you know, quoting scripture. Exactly. I would say this to you. Some of you may be thinking, you know, I have a hard time remembering my own phone number. How could I possibly remember scripture? When you sit and read the Word of God, trust me, something happens. Now, you, you know, if you want to remember something, if you want to uh, memorize Scripture, there's a really easy way to do that. Uh, where do you spend the most time? You know, put it on a three-by-five card. Tape it on the mirror of your bathroom. Some of you spend a lot of time there. Tape it over the sink. Tape it on the doorpost of your car, on the dashboard of your car. You see, the Lord can get that word into your heart and into your mind, but also don't neglect reading the word. Just You may think, hey, I only only have seven minutes before I have to leave. Sit down and read for seven minutes. It will matter, and it will get into your heart and your mind. I've, I've, I've often heard it said that in order for us, the Holy Spirit, to have tools to work with, we have to give him something to work with. And that's getting the word into us. And so no doubt, somewhere along the way, Peter had read the word. Peter had gone to synagogue. He had listened to the word and it got into his heart. It got into his soul. And here he is on this day, standing up, filled with the Holy Spirit, quoting the scriptures just cold. For the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he's saying to them, this Jesus whom you guys all know about, God has raised him up. God has exalted him. And God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. In other words, just as Jesus said when he was here on the earth and as he spoke and as he taught, Jesus said that he was God. And so Peter is validating this. But as he says this, notice he says that this one whom you crucified. So as the words of Scripture are going forth, as the Holy Spirit is speaking these words, you know, they're listening to it and something's happening. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had a chance uh, to listen to Billy Graham. Uh, He was an evangelist, started probably in, I guess, the late 50s, early 60s, something like that. And 
he traveled, uh, began with this country, but then he ended up going all over the world. And you, you can go onto YouTube and, and check it out. But when you go watch and listen to his messages, I can tell you as someone who has seen many of them myself, that you're listening to this man and you, every time I hear him almost, I want to get saved again. Not that you can do that. But I say that to say this, this man was filled with the Holy Spirit. God had put his hand upon him. And as he went to these different places to preach the gospel and to have crusades, he would stand up and preach whatever God had laid on his heart. And sometimes before he could even finish, people would be coming down out of the stands, walking to the front of the stage, wanting to receive Christ. And here's what I would like to say to you today in light of that. Where is that happening today? Where are these things that the Word of God is being preached and spoken? And Billy was so true to the Word of God. I mean, he was a, he was a man. He had his flaws. He had his issues. But God used him. And as Peter was speaking here, we know what this man was like before the Spirit of God came upon him. He, he so often was, was just saying foolish things, and he would often talk before he thought. And then it says here in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now let me stop and make a very important point for all of us. Don't try to convince others to receive Christ because you can't. Should we be faithful to preach Christ and to speak of Jesus? Yes, of course. But it's a divine work of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. The best thing that you and I can do is to be filled with His Spirit. You know, sometimes we become convinced that, well, you know, I, I didn't go to school. Well, neither, neither did Peter. I didn't study. Neither did Peter. I didn't get a, a, a minor in apologetics. Oh, what's that? You know, the ability to understand the argument and then counter it. No, I'm not good at that. Usually the minute the argument starts, I freeze up and I don't know what to say next. But if you're filled with God's Spirit as Peter was, you don't have to try to convince because what did Peter do? He stood up, filled with the Holy Spirit, and as he began to speak, the Scriptures began to come out. And what was it that touched and cut and convicted these people? It was the Spirit of God moving in and through a person of God using the Word of God. And anyone can be that person. It's a divine work of God. The Word of God changes lives. The Word of God is living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to, to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart and to divide to the very point of soul and spirit. The Word of God can do that. It is the divine scapel in separating what's going on in the heart of a person. I don't know what's going on in anyone's heart or mind. I don't know what sins or secret sins any person is dealing with. I have no way of knowing that, just as you don't know what's going on with me. But God's Word can deal with it. And so as Peter said these things, and, and roughly in, in the amount of time you can think of that, we, that took us to read that, and as I read that, I have my timer going here, I always do, it took about maybe five minutes to read that sermon. Let's just say it took him 10 minutes to deliver it. I don't know. 
But in that space of time, God moved on the hearts of 3,000 people. 3,000. Because Peter was filled with the Spirit, he stood up, he, he quoted three scriptures, and it was all divinely orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, the Spirit of God began to work. You know, the last part of that scripture I just quoted out of Hebrews 4.12 says in verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Peter tells us in his second epistle, 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'll read it to you, verse 19, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and he said uh, that the Word of God is the divinely inspired God-breathed Word. So if the Word of God, and then of course Paul also wrote in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, he says that the, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So if we would spend our time learning the Word of God and reading the Word of God and letting it come into our lives, you see, then the Holy Spirit has something to work with, doesn't He? When we get in that situation where all of a sudden it's apparent that someone needs to hear something, maybe they need to hear the, the, the gospel. Memorize John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did that for all people. He did it for me. He, he's done it for you. Do you want to know that? You see, it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be complicated. Just share the word. Speak the word. The word of God is the word of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit. And they were cut to the heart. And isn't this the goal of all preaching and teaching? Isn't this the goal of every Bible study that we do? To be cut to the heart, to be under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and then to come to the place where these people said, there in verse 37, when they said this, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They've heard what was said, and they were convicted by it. They were cut in a very deep way. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, this brings to mind that night in Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas had been following the leading of the Lord. If, if you go back and read Acts chapter 16, Paul and his team were traveling and they had been wanting to go in you know different directions north south east west and the holy spirit kept preventing them until he gave paul a dream on that particular night and he gave him a vision of a man from macedonia saying come over here and help us so the next day they get up and he shares the dream and they concluded the lord was leading them so they go into the region of macedonia northern greece and as they are headed there they come in and 
the Lord directs them to the river where Lydia is and, and her entourage, and they are there worshiping by the river, and they go and they, they share the gospel with them, and they become saved. And then later he goes into uh, another area, and as he's sharing the, the word, they get arrested, and they get put into jail. And as they're in jail, Paul and Silas are there. They've been beaten. They're counting themselves worthy to have suffered for his name rather than complaining about the oppression of the government. And as they are doing that, the guard sitting outside is hearing what's happening inside. And then an earthquake comes and it shakes the, the, the foundation of where they are. And the doors open and the chains fall off of the prisoners. And the guard's going to kill himself because uh, he's assumed that people are escaping and he's responsible. And he knows the penalty is he, he must die. He must pay their penalty. And Paul and Silas cry out and they say, hey, do yourself no harm. So the guy comes running in. And this whole event, this thing happens. And he's, he's been listening to these guys singing praise to the Lord. Kind of the same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. And as they're doing that, this man's heart has been convicted. And he comes in trembling, falls down before them. And what does he say? What must I do to be saved? Sounds an awful lot like what these people did, right? They heard this spirit-filled message from Peter and they said, what, what are we supposed to do with this information? It's more than information. It's affected our hearts. And Peter said, repent. You know, repent means to turn from where you are and to turn toward the Lord, to turn toward Christ. Many have often said that repent is the first word of the gospel. See, sometimes today, people, when they preach the gospel, there's no mention of repentance. You have, there must be repentance. Because the idea is we have to turn from where we are toward the Lord. And so he says here, repent and let every one of you be baptized. He's not equating saying that baptism is essential for salvation because the rest of the scriptures don't bear that out. But he's certainly saying, as was true in their culture, that being baptized was identifying yourself with what you say you believe in. And so he said that to them, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, to be, have sins, the word remission, not a common word in our language, means to be covered, it means to be put away, to be taken away. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, and to your children, the ones he's speaking to in that moment, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Some have said that that phrase of talking about as many as are afar off would be, as, as he's speaking to Jews, perhaps he's referring to Gentiles in a general way. But the more common understanding is that he's talking about not just those people listening on the, in that moment on that day, but to those down through the ages who would hear these words and who would read the scriptures. So isn't it interesting when we read these things, in verse 39, 2,000 years ago, these words were spoken also speaking to us. Because we're a part of that as many as who were far off when this was spoken. And as many as the Lord our God will call. Notice who does the calling. The call to salvation comes from God. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. 
that word is always true. Because the current generation that anybody lives in is always a perverse and a wicked generation. We somehow tend to think that our generation is the most perverse and the most wicked. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not. Either way, the point is, the generation is perverse and wicked. In fact, the King James renders that word perverse as untoward. You might say, well, what does that mean? Well, they're not toward the Lord. They're toward something other than the Lord. They're turned away from the Lord. And so he's saying here, as he's called them to repentance, as he's preached the gospel, to be saved from this perverse generation, there is a draw of the world upon us, isn't there? What's happening today? The Super Bowl. I'm so grateful I haven't been here this past week to hear about and to see all of the hype and the hoopla over what's happening for the Super Bowl that's going to happen tonight. Sometimes it just gets maddening listening to these things. And that's just one event. And then you have the news. You know, my, my brother-in-law, <clears throat> I've never understood this. I, can't, I just can't deal with it. Uh, perhaps some of you do this. I hope you don't. But, you know, first thing in the morning when he gets up, boom, the, the news goes on. Th- think about, let, you know, that's what you start listening to the beginning of your day. That's what you, f- you fill your mind with. Is there anything good and encouraging? That's the untoward generation that we are told to turn away from. The best news that we need is in here. This is what you need to hear every day. I mean, the news, I'm not saying the the news of what's happening in our world doesn't matter, but this matters way more than the news that's happening because this tells me what's going to happen with that news. We know where all this stuff is headed. God's going to judge it. It's all going to burn. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of this. So with many other words, there's apparently more to this sermon than was recorded. Peter had testified and exhorted them. As I was reading this, excuse me, there was a passage of scripture that came to mind that I think sort of explains from a high level, what was happening on that day. And it's found in Romans chapter 10. You're welcome to turn there with me. I'm going to read it to you. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 8. And it says, but what does the word, excuse me, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not by my persuasion. 
Verse 41, then those who gladly received his word, remember there was a lot of people there, those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So I said this a few weeks ago, I'll say it again, God can do in one moment what you and I cannot do in a lifetime. In one 10 or 15 minute sermon, the 12 who had become 120 just became 3,120 because of what God did. Because these people were waiting upon the Lord, because they were listening to the words of Jesus, because they were waiting for the promise of the Father. They were waiting for the Spirit of God to come. To close this morning, I was thinking about this as I was reading it on the plane yesterday, just thinking through this. If you ever read these things, they come up sometimes uh, on this day in history. Okay, on this day in history, the day that the church was born, the Holy Spirit came to come upon the church to empower them for the first time to be his witnesses. The Spirit's evidence was tongues of praise and worship. The praise and worship drew a crowd. Peter was empowered to preach the gospel, which he did. He stood up and opened his mouth and preached. Peter and the rest of the 120 became his witnesses on that day. People heard, they were curious, they responded, they repented, they believed. Many were saved and baptized. Jesus said that the Spirit would bear witness of him, and that's exactly what happened, isn't it? The Spirit bore witness of him, and people believed in him. If we want to be witnesses, then we must be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. We must allow the Spirit to make us His witnesses. Will you, will I, will we ask the Lord to do that for us today? Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I, I trust that all of us here want that. And so we ask you now, and even before we sing this song to close, that you would Remove any fear we might have that, of what you might do. Lord, sometimes we have these crazy ideas. You're going to make us a missionary and send us to a foreign country. Uh, Lord, if you do that, then praise your name for it. But so often you just want us to be here and available. You just want to fill us with your spirit where we are. And as we already read in Acts chapter 1, you want to make us your witnesses in our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So, Lord, you've called us to be witnesses right here where we are. This morning, we humble ourselves before you. Lord, Lord, perhaps there's some here this morning as we have been speaking and teaching and preaching who have never believed in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we ask in this moment for them that it would be a moment where they just lower their guard and uh, repent and turn and come to you and say, Jesus, I don't know what all this stuff means, but... I want the salvation and the forgiveness that you offer. I want eternal life. And Lord, would you do that for them and, and for us, Lord, who already know you and we thank you and praise you for that. Would you just fill us anew and baptize us afresh? And if we've never been filled with your spirit, then may this be the moment where that happens for us. 
And may we walk forward in faith and in power and in peace and in hope, knowing that you're in charge and not me, not us. It's not about me. It's not about we. It's about you. We love you, Lord. We bless your holy name this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.